Uh, morning, everybody. Okay. Right. Rob has uh, got the slides on the go there, which is fantastic. Let me get myself sorted out here. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm finishing out a series we've been doing for for a while now. Uh, it's based on, uh, there's a book called The Magnificent Journey by James Bryant Smith. And, um, but there's also, um, actually, I'll see if I can do this, but if not, Robert might get you to drive. Let's have a look. Yeah, do you want to flip the next one? Um, but it's also really drawn from this passage that um, is in uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the New Testament from uh, uh, from the Gospels, where where Jesus says, "Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with walk with me, and work with me. Learn how I do it. Learn." The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And it's that sense of the unforced rhythms of grace that really captures us. Ah, oh, That's what we want to be understanding. And, and, and um, you'll recall that we've, uh, we've looked into surrender to Jesus as the start point for that. We've looked at growing in grace. We've looked at living from above, listening to God. Walking in faith, living in hope, and loving God, ourselves, and others, and that's um, and that's really where we've so so we're kind of at the at the uh, you know at the final point on that journey, and uh, our topic for today, um, Rob, next slide, thanks, is this joy. Um, so um, joy is a bit like art, actually. It's something that we instinctively know when we see it, right? It's quite hard to define, but you kind of just know it. When you see it, you like that. You know it when you feel it, right? Um, and and everyone longs for joy and happiness, right? It's not a bad thing. It's probably got a bit twisted. We probably look in all the wrong places and get a bit exploited because of that. But it's not that the desire in itself is wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be joyful, wanting to be happy, and it's a really deep desire that's in all of us. And yet, it's kind of like rumors of glory. It's like this elusive thing. It's maybe in a sunset. It's in a kind word spoken at the right time, just enough to kind of keep us hankering after it, but it's somehow it's a bit elusive. Um, and yet it's also uh, really important. So uh, this is just from The Guardian. A, a 2017 study of about 7,000 adults found that those, who'd got posit- those with positive well-being, with happiness or with joy, were more likely to be physically active, to eat fresh fruit and vegetables. Being happy has also been linked to better sleep, better weight management, lower stress levels, and it an improved immune system and even increased life expectancy. So joy and happiness is, uh, it's, a, it's a big deal for us. And, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of written and said about it. And um, interestingly, there was a, a landmark study and they looked at, as the four researchers, and they looked at um, some people who had won the lottery and they also looked at some people who had an accident that had made them paraplegic and completely lost all the use of their bodies. And the amazing thing is that they found that there was no statistically significant difference in the happiness of those two groups. And you think, oh, that kind of goes against everything in our worrying about what we think might make for a happy and joyful life. Um, So it's elusive and it's a bit enigmatic and yet we really want it. We really want it more than anything. Um, 
Thanks for our next slide. So that's what we're just going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about some of that looking in the wrong places. I thought we'd just think a bit about God's joy. What is it that means that we've got a joyful, happy God? Because we do. Um, what is it that makes God happy? Good question. And maybe that's a clue. And then we'll just look a bit about, therefore, what does that mean for our joy? So start with then, uh, you know, uh, what are some of the world's notions about joy? Well, you know, it was the, the good life was sort of, you know, oh, I get married, and have two kids and a dog and good grades and a good job and promotion and career success and home ownership. And, uh, of course, the marketing people back in the 50s really got hold of this idea of, 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 of you know, we're so motivated towards what will make us happy. So everything gets tagged with happiness, you know, from, you know, have a Coke and a smile, if you remember that far back, the advert, you know. So, so you know, whether it's the soft drink that we drink or whether it's, you know, uh, the furniture we buy or the holiday, bro- you know, if you read, get a holiday brochure, you know, you can kind of see all the smiling, happy faces there. Um, it was Paul Dolan, who is a professor at London School of Economics and um, a former lecturer of mine, actually, really interesting character. He was the author of a book, Happy Ever After, really researching into behavioral understandings of happiness. And um, he put it this way. He said, popular social narratives do not lead to happiness and often actively detract from it by virtue of the unreasonable expectations and burdens that they place on us. I think he got it about right. And, you know, and even more, you know, kind of fast forwarding to today, you know, in this social media age, there's a great phrase, isn't it? FOMO, kind of fear of missing out. You know, we see these seemingly perfect lives in on Instagram and all the rest of it. And uh, and there's this pressure to be living your best life, whatever that means. Um, and, and and the world, you know, is, is, is continually kind of... Uh, uh, giving us different prescriptions. And, you know, so, for instance, I don't know if you come across Marie Kondo. She's the kind of minimalist person. She says, you know, you know, pick something up. If it doesn't immediately spark joy, throw it out. I was thinking, so, whoa, I, I, I can, I have a picture, I have a vision of myself sitting in an empty house with everything, <laughs> with everything just out, piled up outside the front door. So, um, but, um, but, you know, uh, you know, pursuit of experiences and learning and pleasures and riches and position and social standing to find joy and happiness. It was actually explored a long time ago by the writer of Ecclesiastes. And what did he conclude? Meaningless. Meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. All that stuff. So, and, and you know, in contrast to all of that and what we're kind of told these prescriptions, that were, it, was, um, it was Thoreau who said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. So we've got that on the one hand, all this to promise, but actually for many people in, 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 their, in, in, in the moments of solitude, just actually quite a desperation. Do you know what? This is pretty hard. And this thing that we're after is so elusive. So it's elusive partly because we're looking in, in the wrong places, which is fine. But then, well, of course, then, then come along major religions and philosophies, and they promise joy as well. What, what, what recipe are they espousing? Well, you know, one of those, which is common in Eastern religions, is detachment. You know, you know, you'll feel much more joy and peace if you just cut yourself off from all that bad stuff that's happening. Just, just, you know, find a place in your in your mind that is away from it, and, and be less connected to the things of the world. And um, and actually, what you kind of think, well, what kind of joy is that? With your eyes closed to the suffering of those that you love and those around you, that doesn't really sound like the kind of joy that I, I want really um and then there's another you know school of thought that is kind of all joy is all about just accepting your lot in like accepting whatever the circumstances bring you know and and that's particularly you know many muslims might take that view 
um, you know, and, and even some Christians sort of, well, you know, everything that happens is, 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 a, is a will of Allah, is a will of God, so just accept it, and you'll be a lot happier. Well, again, see, I don't see, I look at, I look at the God of the Old Testament. He wasn't particularly accepting when the, you know, the nations around Israel were, you know, sapri- sacrificing their kids to their false gods. He wasn't particularly stoic, stoical or accepting about that. He wasn't kind of stiff up. He was pretty, pretty riled up about it. And similarly, Jesus, when he went to the temple, you know, and he saw that they just made it like a, a, a marketplace and were just a place to kind of make profit. He was pretty riled up about that as well. So, so I'm not so sure that just a kind of passive acceptance of everything as, as that's just the way it is, is really where joy is found. Um, it's interesting. Everyone knows the serenity prayer, you know. Lord, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Do you know that's uh, not the original formulation of that? It wasn't God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change. It was actually, Father, grant us courage to change the things we can. Serenity to accept what cannot be helped and the insight to know one from the other. It started with the courage to change. Yes, there's, an, a limit, there's, there's limits to what we can do, but actually the emphasis was, let's be, let's be courageous, actually push into the things that need to be different. So um, even though many, these many uh, different kind of uh, philosophies and schools of, 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 of thought would, would promise, uh, you know, promise joy, Maybe they're not quite in the right place. So, of course, you think, well, but just before we get too superior about it, how is the church doing with our understanding of joy? Next slide, Rob. Thank you. So I want to read to you a little uh, passage from this book. Um, so if you don't know the, if you never come across this, Andromeda Ville is a young girl. She's about eight years old, and uh, she's not from a, a kind of a Christian background at all. She's uh, never come across a church, really, but her, her two parents are, are away, and so... Um, members from uh, Adrian's church decide they're going to write to her while she's in hospital. She's um, she's broken her leg and she's in hospital for a while. So um, so this is uh, and various people write various things to her and she sort of writes back in her kind of uh, broken Englishy kind of way where she gets lots of words mixed up and wrong. But um, so this is um, uh, so anyway. Various people have written to her. anyway. There's there's um, a guy called Charles Flushpool has written to her a couple of times now from Deep Joy Bible School in Narrow Path Road, Dumpton, Wessex. And uh, this, is, this is his letter to her, and then I'm going to read her response to him as well. Actually, his letter to her, and then um, uh, Andromeda herself writes to Adrian's son quite a lot, so quite a lot of her letters are not to the person who wrote back to her, but just to Gerald. So it, this is, this is, this is um, Charles Cook's letter to Andromeda from Deep Joy Bible School, and then her letter back to Gerald uh, following that. So this is uh, this is how it goes. Dear Andromeda, it was with abundant joy that I reve- received the wonderful news of your hospitalization. How marvelous to suffer as you're doing. What a depth of gratitude and deep thankfulness you must be experiencing as you lie in the privileged position of one who is allowed to enjoy pain and discomfort hour after hour and day after day. Hallelujah. How you must delight and chuckle over those verses which reveal the inestimable benefits of regular immersion in the rich baptism of physical anguish. How I envy you, your glorious opportunity to participate in the ecstasy of awful agony. Oh, to break a femur. What happiness. To slip and crash to the ground, causing serious injury, necessitating a long period of intensive institutional care. What could be more welcome? How your faith must be blossoming in the invigorating atmosphere of profound disability that surrounds you now. With what deep happiness, I am sure, you must survey those heavy weights 
way, uh, depending from your helpless limbs and look forward to the mighty leaping of your spirit of a further lengthy experience of enforced horizontality. <laughs> On Saturday, I shall be enabled to witness your good fortune personally when I'm home from a weekend from college. I shall enter your ward with a dance of elation and greet you with a word of celebration. Yours in joyful anticipation, Charles Cook. Fantastic. So uh, here's Andromeda's letter to Gerald, which he spells with a U, Gerald. Dear Gerald, you, you know your friend Charles at Deep Joy Bible School, who sends me peculiar letters? Well, the last one was all about how fracturing your lemur and being an attraction was acy-pacy brilliant and all that. Loony, eh? Loony. Anyway, he came to see me on Saturday and he danced into the ward, not looking where he was going. And he stubbed his big toe on the end of a big metal thing and started hopping around and saying bad words <laughs> through his teeth. It was great. <laughs> I decided to cheer him up, Gerald. So I said, oh, to stub a toe. What happiness. <laughs> what redundant joy to have an acy-pacy pain in the foot. How I wish I was lucky old you hopping about, Charles, old chap. Let's hope the lovely agony lasts a good long time, eh? Hallelujah. He was very cross for a little while, Gerald. And then he suddenly laughed. And he was nice like he used to be and not like a robot. They must have special robot classes down at his school, eh? Do you have to get special permission to be normal when you're a Christian, Harold? If you don't, I think someone ought to tell everyone. I think so. All my love, Andromeda. So, um... <laughs> So I don't think we've kind of quite got a handle on uh, on joy either, often in the church and the way we think about things. And, um, you know, we can have weird, weird ideas because, you know, strained positivity, that isn't actually joy. And um, a forced smile is not joy. Joy isn't something you can just act and you can't magic it up if it's not kind of welling up. It will bubble up, but you can't just kind of magic it. So we can't look at the world. We can't even look at the church's track record on this. But here's the good news. If you were to read your Bible in a year, then on average, on every second day, you'd be reading about joy. How about that? Um, Romans fourteen seventeen says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So let's come at this then a slightly different way. And let's, rather than using the philosophies of the world or what we're told on the social media, or even, you know, kind of what we might see in, in, in culture, even in church circles. Let's, let's go to God's Word and have a little look. at what, what is it that makes God joyful? When is he at his most happiness? Uh, thanks, Rob. So, and what's our joy in response? So, um, just four times I'm going to briefly talk about when, when do we see God overflowing with joy and what's going on? So, um, the first is when he's creating and when he's collaborating. Um, there's a passage in, in Proverbs 8, and it, and it references right back. It's, it's, it's described as a personification of wisdom, like wisdom is a character. And this is what it, it, it says. It says, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the crowds above, when he fixed securely the foundation of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters wouldn't overstep his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, 
rejoicing in his whole world, delighting in the human race. You can just see. You know, creation was, God said, let us make. Let us make. It was a collaboration, and the Spirit was brooding over the earth. Um, it says that, you know, Jesus, the Word, all things were made through him. And, and you can just see this amazing, playful creativity that God created everything in the creation, the cosmos, the culture that flows out of all of that. That was, God was just totally full of joy, both in what he was doing in making and in, and in it being in partnership and collaboration. So, so that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was, um, what was the father's joy? Well, um, think about Luke 15. Um, there's some great, um, great parables there. And, uh, the first one, uh, is Jesus tells a story about, about a woman who, um, she can't find a coin in her house, so she looks everywhere in her house and she sweeps it down, and eventually she finds it. And she says, oh, that's amazing. I'm going to go out, and she goes, she finds her neighbor and says, you've got to come in, in, in with me. We've got we've to celebrate. You know what? I found this lost coin. And then, uh, what happens after that? Well, not only um, a lost coin, we've got um, the story of a, a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep on their own. When he finally finds the sheep, the one that's lost, he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it home and, he's, and, 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 he, and he wants to have a fantastic celebration to invite people to celebrate because he's found the sheep that was lost. And Jesus says, like, in heaven, there's rejoicing, not only by the angels, but in the presence of the angels. Guess that, who that means? There's this amazing, amazing rejoicing in heaven because what was lost is found. And again, the third uh, time, a third parable to reinforce it even more. He tells the story, doesn't he, of the two sons where one of them, you know, goes off, you know, uh, takes his share of the inheritance, goes off, wastes it, loses it, ends up, you know, uh, destitute. And in the end, decides to slink off back home and see if he could be made a slave. And, and the, the, the father who's waiting all the time, sees him from a distance and, and does something that would have been quite shocking in that culture, which is that he, he runs because old people then didn't run because there was you know dignity and all the rest of it. But he runs and he can't help himself. He runs to embrace the son. And, and it says, you know, we've got we've to throw an amazing party because he was lost and now he's found. And that, that is um, such a picture of the father's joy. You know, it's such a picture of the father's joy. So he's joyful when he's make, making us and this creation, amazing creation we've got. He's amazingly joyful when he finds something that was lost. And then, as uh, Vicky mentioned earlier, uh, next slide, Rob, thanks. Uh, the third, third window we've got into to joy is um, the joy of God, and the joy of Jesus is exactly this. This is from Hebrews. Uh, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross enduring its shame, and then sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy? But, but So the conundrum, what was that joy that motivated Jesus? But also observation, it was joy that could motivate Jesus through everything, through the greatest agony that anyone's ever known, being completely separated and cut off from God and feeling completely alone and isolated in his darkest time for us. That joy, it was for the joy that Jesus um, 
you know, is motivated. And you, you get a sense of that a bit later in Hebrews. It talks about heaven being like thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful celebration. And, it's the, and, and, and the thing is, there's a bit of a clue. There's a theme in all of this, which is, what is it that makes God so joyful? Well, um, here's, a, here's another verse that really spells it out. Um, this is, uh, you know, when, this is God talking, Zephaniah 3. Uh, it says, Yahweh, your God is in your midst. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. And just that sense that the, 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 the just immense joy in the heart of God singing over you because he's been able to save you and rescue you from all that mess that you got yourself into. And that's the context of that Zephaniah verse. Jerusalem was in a complete mess. And actually it was completely, um, you know, he, he, he brought back those from captivity. He brought back the lame, those who'd been driven out. And uh, he just was delighted to be rejoicing over us with singing and thanksgiving. And that's the key. So they're the things that make God joyful. Thanks, Rob. Next slide. Um, So, so what about us then? Uh, where do we go with our joy? Well, you know, um, we could talk about a lot of things, and there isn't really time to do that. We could look at look here at what's ahead for us. You know, the proverb talks about you know being a wise steward, and what was the reward? It says, "Enter your master's happiness." Wow, that's something for us to enter the ha- that happiness that we've described that God's got. We can enter that, and that's a reward for stewarding. What we do well, we could we could look at joy in persecution. We remember we did the uh, the beatitude, and it was you know you know you, you, you rejoice when people persecute you and say all forced to say all kinds of things against you because that's what they did to the prophets, and actually it's a hallmark of the fact that you're you're a chip off the old block really when that happens. Um, and indeed, from Acts, when that's exactly what they did, we could look at the the command to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. We could look at what the angel said to Mary. I bring you good news of great joy. Uh, it's a gospel of joy. We could look at Jesus reading from Isaiah 61 when he announced the Jubilee, which was the most, the, the biggest party ever that you have in a generation built into a, a God's plan for Israel that once every 50 years, all debts are cancelled, all slaves are freed, all uh, people who've lost land and are, are, are without, you know, receive back their, their family inheritance once again. You know, he said, the spirit of the Lord's on me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to give the oil of gladness or the oil of joy instead of mourning. It's a, it's a, that, it's a gospel manifesto is of joy, is a bringing joy to a people who are, who are really uh, messed up. But let's, and we could look at all of those things. They're, all of those things actually are, are our joy. They're, they're what God intends for us. They're the kind of, you know, we're in, we're in the upcycling and joy business. That's, that's kind of what, the, what being a disciple is all about. Um, but I want to uh, focus just on this one passage. Uh, next slide, thanks, Rob, which is this. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he sold all he had and he bought that field. So, with Jesus, that says those three words, for the joy set before him. He did what it is. For us, it's in our joy. And um, 
So that's really key. Our biggest joy is finding someone whose biggest joy is finding us. So our biggest joy is finding, God's biggest joy is finding as well as a thing. Our biggest joy is finding him. His biggest joy is finding us. John Piper put it like this. He said, God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. See, joy isn't the preserve of a lucky few who win the lottery of life and seem to have everything together. It's the heart of what it means to live, the joy of finding and being found. The kingdom of God is joy, even through the ups and downs of love and loss and battling through injustice and life's highs and lows. Um, why don't we stand together? I'm just going to... Um, thought we might... Um, if you want to come up, Lloyd, as well, that's great. Um, I just thought we might... Um, just respond to that a, li- a little bit in our hearts um, and just see, uh, ask the Lord maybe just to connect us again with that amazing joy of our salvation, that first love. And if you've never known h- how much God really, truly, deeply loves you and how elated he is at finding you, then maybe you might find him this morning, actually, for the first time. George Robinson was a young pastor in 1877 and he wrote this after after an immense tragedy in his life. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you uh, with us. We, We acknowledge your presence again here with us this morning. And we draw near to you right now. And we recognize that the psalmist said, all our fountains are in you. Will you come and meet with us now, Lord? Or where we've got a spirit of heaviness over us, or would you bring your oil of gladness?